Uh, it is a blessing to be here this morning with you and to open up the Word of God. And uh, God has been at work for sure in the preparation for this message. So uh, we are talking about uh, the Civil War that Christians are involved in, both from the outside on Christians, and then sometimes, unfortunately, through Christians themselves fighting amongst each other. But we also have a battle right in here. Right in our own hearts, our own minds, we struggle, we battle, we fight against uh, what we think is right and wrong, what the world thinks is right and wrong, and we are like, sort of like a fish swimming upstream, trying to, trying to make a way for ourselves and, and, um, and decide and land on something solid, something that we can live by and stand on and be loyal to. Uh, and that's a struggle, that's a war, that's a battle that goes on in our own hearts. And so I had this great idea, uh, my wife came, actually came up with it, she mentioned, I believe, first, um, that uh, the Jiminy Cricket video from way back, always let your conscience be your guide, give a little whistle, <laughs> right? Give a little whistle. And uh, so I excitedly asked, oh, that's, that's perfect. Let's do that. Let's put that up there on the screen and let's get started. It'll spark everybody's thinking. And uh, some of you youngins maybe never saw that before, but, uh, but it's out there. YouTube it, you know, Jiminy Cricket Conscience, and uh, it'll come up on YouTube. But so I planted the idea to Scott and I uh, got this, this Marco Polo message back and said, Brother Don, it's great. It's really a good video, but having trouble with this because it's copyrighted. We can't put it up on the screen. So, Scott asked, what do you think about that? So I waited a while. I thought, I'm going to let Brother Chris hang himself on this one. <laughs> so just wait and let's see if he answers. And, uh, oh, it's a tough one. It's the perfect video. It's so... It's so apropos, it's so cute, and it would, you know, really spark people's thinking. I really, really want this video to go up on the screen, but, oh, this little, this little problem, this little thing going on with, with uh, I think Joanna probably was the first one, right? Joanna, and then Scott, and then me, oh, I don't know. Now, now it lost its luster, and uh, so finally... I got on to Marco Polo and I sent Scott back a message. I said, Isn't it, is it a coincidence that your conscience is bothering you and my conscience is bothering me about this and Chris's conscience is bothering him about this and the message is on conscience? How can we show a video and have a bad conscience about this? Come on, man. <laughs> We're not going to do this. So, But uh, that's how it works. That's, that's something that God has put in us as a divine gift to be able to make decisions and to keep ourselves pure and to follow the Lord's path in our life. And it comes right out of Scripture. It comes right out of God's desire for us. If you would look at Romans 2 and verse 14, and then from there we're going to make a beeline to Romans chapter 14, so don't get confused. Romans 2 verse 14 says, When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the work of the law is written on their hearts, 
while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Conscience. The word conscience is in the Bible. Uh, It's not just Jiminy Cricket who speaks about it. It's not just, uh, if you knew anything about Jeff Flake and this big uh, Judge Kavanaugh controversy, he wrote a book called The the Conscious conscious of of a Conservative, The Conscience of a Conservative. And uh, people were talking about it during that whole uh, uproar about Judge Kavanaugh. And people think about this all the way back to the 50s when there was a, a person, a famous psychologist who was writing about uh, psychology, writing about homosexuality, uh, and, and, and wrote about the conscience in those days. And I'm going to give you a quote from him in the middle of the, the message about how the conscience affects us. But people are concerned about it. People want to know about it. And it's a biblical topic. And so the scriptures tell us that God is at work in our lives through this thing called conscience. He uses the law, which is written in men's hearts, whether they know God, don't know God, whether they're living in the bush somewhere or whether they're living uh, in a Christian, quote unquote, society. They had that law written in their hearts and somehow we have this inner knowledge of right and wrong and the conscience is that referee to blow the whistle on us when we do something wrong. It's also uh, a, an, an encouragement to us when we do something right. So it says it either accuses us or it excuses us, makes us feel okay. Can we describe it in more detail? I don't know, more than that. It's this knowledge that's in the heart. It's that voice that comes uh, when you are thinking about whether you did the right thing or you did the wrong thing. Uh, that conscience speaks up. That conscience gives a little whistle. That conscience flags you. And sometimes it's not pleasant like a whistle. It's almost like a body slam. Uh, you are in trouble. And that's the conscience. God has put that in us. And he has, you, he's given it to us to be able to make right decisions. So we're going to read in Romans 14 today a little bit about that conscience and how we associate with that divine gift in our souls, the conscience. It says in Romans 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Have you, you know all about that, right? There's not only vegetarians now, but we have what are called vegans. That's a little step beyond vegetarian. And, uh, you know, we're encouraged by many people, health experts in, in many cases, don't eat meat, uh, only eat vegetables, or only eat, uh, don't even eat uh, products, of uh, animal products in any way, and uh, so forth. And then there's religious organizations that espouse, you, you shouldn't be eating pork. You should, it's not healthy. It's proven by science that that it causes disease and, and all these uh, opinions floating around in society that from uh, secular to Christian opinions that say, don't do this, do that. And it says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own, I'm sorry, uh, pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. 
and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the Uh, the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And there's much more to be said here. We'll read uh, more of this in a moment. But uh, the scriptures clearly lays out this process of inner decision making. And this passage is a parallel uh, to 1 Corinthians 8. And uh, some of you that are using the pulpit curriculum for our small group study, You will be uh, reading that this week and considering 1 Corinthians 8, which clearly uses the word conscience. If you read the whole chapter of Romans 14, you're going to find out that the word conscience is not in there. But uh, it is the concept that's being developed because 1 Corinthians 8 is a parallel passage. And over and over, it talks about meats sacrificed to idols and not eating meat sacrificed to idols or eating the meat sacrificed to idols. And it's the conscience of our brother that we should be worried about and our own conscience at the same time. And so parallel passage talking about the conscience. So there, but the reason I chose Romans 14, I believe the Lord would have us look at it, are the principles developed in there about the conscience. And the first and clearest thing developed there is that you should let your conscience be your guide. Verse 5 tells us this. uh, It says there, One person esteems one day as better than another, while the other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Have you ever struggled with a Christian issue? We come from, my wife and I, our family come from a background of legalism. And uh, there were so many things that were said, this is bad, this is good, that's bad, this is good. And if you want to measure bad, here's how you measure it. It's to this length or this width or that height. Uh, Had everything very carefully parsed and laid out from the type of music that should be listened to, the type of dress, uh, what is a a skirt that's too long, a, a skirt that's too short. They actually didn't have a problem with long skirts, but uh, too short. Uh, And I'm sure many of you have come in contact with folks that have had all those types of uh, uh, rules and regulations, and uh, they're telling you this is wrong, and you're looking at the scriptures, and you're wondering, is it really wrong? Should I really have a problem with this? And even in cases where the scripture encourages a certain behavior, and the church is saying, don't do that. That's so wrong. Uh, It's not godly. You are worldly and, and all of those sorts of things. And uh, they appeal to the conscience, just like we should appeal to the conscience. Verse 5 says, let everyone, it says, every one of you be fully convinced in your own mind. Uh, in the scriptures, in the, in the Bible altogether, there's 27 references to the word conscience. 
So it's a Bible word. It's a scriptural principle. And over and over, Paul appeals to us to consider uh, the conscience. For instance, in Acts 4, uh, 24, 16, he says this. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. And many other verses he uh, lays out. 1 Timothy 1.18 says, and hopefully my technology will serve me here. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. 1 Timothy 1.18. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of the faith. He, he encourages Timothy as a young pastor to be very serious about listening to that tool that God has placed in the heart, that referee that blows the whistle and says, hey, this is wrong. Don't go this way. Don't do that. Uh, you shouldn't be practicing that. You shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't be uh, uh, part of this situation. Take care to, to think about what the scripture says about the conscience. And so God honors that. God puts that uh, in our hearts. When we are uh, alone is mostly when this occurs. When we find ourselves uh, uh, alone uh, and, and get a chance to think about what's going on in our life and we have time to think about what went on during the day. It's a good habit to review the day at the end of the day. Think about what went on today. And do you have a clear conscience? Was there anything that's coming back to you and you're saying, hmm, maybe that wasn't the right thing to say. Maybe that wasn't the, the right thing to do. And Scripture encourages uh, couples, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So when you have had an argument, when you've had a discussion sometime during the day, uh, that should catch up with you at night. And when you have a chance to think and your heart says, that wasn't really the right thing to say, then it's time to get that right. It's time to clean that up. That's the conscience. That's that tool that God put in you to warn you and get you back on the straight and narrow. Uh, Many times through my life, that has been the case. Many times when I didn't have a verse that I could hang my thoughts on. Many times when I didn't have clear guidance from uh, the word of God, a passage, an example of a Christian that I knew or an example of a person from the scriptures. In that moment when I stopped to think about it, not having any scripture or any principle to hang it on, my heart just just like sort of gives me a slap and says, that, that was wrong. And I'm sure you've had it as well. You should take pause at that time. You should think about it. That's a great thing that God has placed in us to make us wake up and think about it. So God wants us to follow our conscience. He wants our conscience to be our guide. And the scriptures talk about it over and over. And in this passage, it talks about it. 1 Corinthians 8 talks about not offending the conscience of our brother. And so uh, we need to honor that and believe that the Lord is involved in that. But secondly... We need to let the Lord guide our conscience. Not just let the conscience be our guide, but we need to be really, really aware of something very important about the conscience in our lives, and that is that it can be distorted. It can be changed. Look with me at some of these scriptures. 1 Timothy 
4 says this. 1 Timothy 4, 2 says, Through the insincerity of liars whose conscience, consciences are seared. Consciences are seared. So if you know anything about that word seared, it comes from the idea, uh, and if you, if you like to barbecue, how many of you like to grill a good steak out on the grill? Um, not trying to offend any vegetarians here today. Forgive me if, I, <laughs> if I'm bringing that up again, but uh, I learned uh, in Chile as we uh, cook meats that they, they're fanatics about having uh, cookouts and barbecues. They don't have the barbecue sauces that we have here. They just like garlic and salt on, on the meats, but the one thing I learned down there, the first thing you want to do is get that grill nice and hot. Get it uh, uh, hotter than you need to cook on because the first thing you're going to do with that steak is you're going to sear both sides. You're going to lay it on one side. You hear that. That's a good sound. Then you flip it over and again. And they want you, they want you to do that. Why? And I'm sorry I'm getting you all very hungry this morning. I apologize. We won't be long. I promise. But uh, why would you sear that meat? Because when you sear it, it seals it. It seals the juices inside so that it becomes like a little oven inside the meat and it cooks, it keeps the juices in and it keeps it uh, cooking in the inside and you can let it on a lower heat just simmer and cook, time it and boom, it's ready to go. And uh, that's called searing. But you can sear your conscience. That's a, uh, when you sear meat, uh, that's a good thing, but when you sear your conscience, that's not. It's like the word, it's like the word burn, and uh, you, you burn your conscience. You damage it. Uh, many people who get serious burns uh, need a skin graft because that skin is never going to grow back, and this is the kind of searing it's talking about. They've, they've opened it up. They've damaged their conscience. They've gotten it to a place where it's hardened, and that skin is not going to uh, uh, serve any good purpose anymore. And there are so many people who today are hardened by the deceitful of, deceitfulness of sin. If you got saved at a young age, you can praise God for that. You know why? Because many people through living many years in sin have been seared to the point that they see sins happening in their lives. They participate in sins and it doesn't bother them. Their conscience doesn't slap them awake to say this is wrong anymore. It used to back in the day when they first started exper experimenting with this and that. Their conscience did bother them. But over years and years of years of being denied, it's now hardened. It's now uh, senseless. Like I get calluses from climbing and I touch those parts and it's like that's, that's dead skin. I can't even can't even feel it anymore. You feel the pressure behind it, but that's it. That's being seared, and our conscience can be seared. It says in uh, Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They're made dirty. They're made corrupt. Uh, oftentimes, we complain about the corruption in politics, and we understand things just in Washington don't seem to ever change. It doesn't matter which party is, is, is in power. The, the people that are bought off by money, it, it never changes. And that, that corruption is always at work behind the scenes. It gets folks angry and upset about how things work in government. That corruption can seep into our soul. 
It comes from the world and it comes sometimes even unfortunately from our own parents who have taught us in a certain direction and taught us to believe that though God says something is wrong, they have taught us that it's right and they've argued and they've taught us and they've set us up to have this sort of idea about uh, uh, right and wrong that's distorted, it's defiled, it's corrupt, and yet it becomes part of the way we live and the things we do. And so the conscience can be distorted. Even the verse we read out of 1 Timothy 18 says, uh, you have to hold conscience in a, uh, hold faith in a good conscience because if you reject this, you can make shipwreck of the faith. So even a Christian can be deceived by the world, deceived, they can deceive themselves and get to the place where the conscience doesn't do its job anymore. Where you should be, your conscience should be screaming out and say, hey, hey, this is wrong, stop, stop doing that. It's muffled, it's covered, you can't hear it. You, it doesn't make any noise anymore. It is given up. Uh, and this is where that quote comes in. The man that I spoke of earlier, Edmund Burglar, was a famous psychologist, not a Christian man, but a famous psychologist who wrote Battle of the Conscience back in the 1950s, uh, 1948. And uh, he said this about the conscience. Man's inhumanity to man is equaled only by man's inhumanity to himself. Speaking about the conscience. So men are very judgmental and harsh and, and will tell you uh, that you are in the wrong or you're deceived or you're... But the worst part about it is when we in our own hearts, we've deceived ourselves and uh, either we, uh, our conscience is seared and distorted or we can't forgive ourselves for things that we've done. And he speaks a lot about that in his book, uh, Battle of the Conscience. So our conscience gets warped. It gets changed does that mean God doesn't want us to use it anymore? We need to discard it and forget about it? Not at all. Uh, in fact, he tells us in verse 4 of, the, of uh, Romans 14, he says this, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he, he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verses 7 through 9 say this about the, our future it says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And in verse 11, it says this. For it is written, as I live, say the, say the, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Folks, we have a conscience that God has given us, and there is a judgment day. We shouldn't spend all our time judging each other. You're wrong, I'm right, and having these verbal battles. It's the Lord's job to convict and to judge and to make those decisions. And there is a final judgment, even for Christians. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord, the Bible says. And so, should we be concerned about how our conscience is affected? Yes, definitely. Because we will give an account. It's important to God. And so he mentions it over and over. But the good news is, the conscience can also be renewed. 
the conscience can be renewed. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Say this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling defiled persons uh, of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself with, without blemish to God purify our what? Consciences. Purify our consciences, not just uh, uh, other parts of our being. He purifies our soul. He purifies our minds. But he also purifies with his blood our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Christ literally cleanses us of the inner sins and the inner guilt that we have. That conscience says guilty. It's like a judge. It's like the gavel of the judge. You are guilty. You have done wrong. And the blood of Christ comes and says, it doesn't have to stay that way. He cleans us. He, he changes us. He renews our understanding of the truth. He changes our perception of right and wrong to align it much more with God's idea of right and wrong. And so that begins with the blood of Christ purifying our thoughts and our hearts. That's repeated in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. And of course that sprinkling is the Old Testament practice of taking the blood out of the basin of the sacrificed animal and sprinkling it on some item to make it pure. And in this case, the blood of Christ is applied directly to our hearts. It says, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So God purifies that conscience. He changes our, he changes our minds. He changes our thinking. He moves on us through the Holy Spirit to renew our hearts and minds, to think properly about good and bad. And so we definitely need to let conscience be our guide. But the second step is allowing the Lord to be the Lord of our conscience, the guide of our conscience. Then he will renew our hearts. He will renew our minds. If you've never come to the place where you have surrendered yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ for him to wash you with his blood, today is the day. If you have any hope of of meeting him one day in the judgment with a pure heart and a pure conscience and a pure mind. It's only through his blood, the sprinkling of that blood. It's, it sounds like a metaphor, but it's a true spiritual activity when he applies that blood to our hearts and we are forgiven. We are guiltless before him. And then he begins the process through his Holy Spirit of renewing our conscience so that we're sens sensitive to the things that we really ought to be sensitive to, to be able to please him. And that brings us to the final point, verse 22 of Romans 14. The faith that you have, that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That word, that little word, blessed, is a wonderful and big word for us. We need to think about this because a lot of people think that Christianity is just a list of, of do's and don'ts and 
things that we're supposed to do, and then everything will go well with us. But it's not like that. God doesn't want us to live like a slave to black and white paper. He wants us to live for him and to experience blessedness, joy, and happiness in uh, the Holy Ghost. And so he has here, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. God is interested in your happiness. He gave you a conscience to make you miserable, but that's not the end. That's not the end result. The conscience is not there just to make us unhappy. The truth is, the conscience is there to motivate us to change. And as we draw closer to him and he saves us, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory, as the hymn says. And he says that, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. Folks, we can be forgiven. We can find that place in our lives where we are at peace with our conscience, with our practices, with everyone around us who has maybe different practices and ideas about right and wrong. We can be at peace. We can find that place of happiness. That's why the authors of the Constitution told us we have certain rights that are in inalienable, that it can't be separated from us, from God. And one of those is the pursuit of happiness. That came right from the scriptures. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to enjoy life and enjoy the world around us as well. Most people without God think that sinning, uh, you know, incessantly is where all the, the fun is, right? But we know as Christians that when you actually are forgiven of real sins, and you find the things that really bring joy to God, and you do those, your life is full of happiness. He doesn't want us to be miserable. He wants us to enjoy his presence, to enjoy his creation, and to follow his word in this life. We can be happy. We can be happy, and God wants us to be happy. So where does it begin? It begins with the blood of Christ that cleanses us from every sin. There is a direction, a wrong direction in all of this as Christians as well. And the scriptures outline that, and we want to finish with this. 1 Timothy 1, verse 18 says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, the civil war. Holding faith and a good conscience that's what he wants us to do. Hold that faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. How far can a Christian go? Pretty far. Can get pretty bad. And you know where it begins? It begins denying that conscience. Brother Chris shared with me this week, uh, he had seen an, a news article about a, a friend of his from Bible college, from Liberty University, where they had fellowship together. They knew the Lord and they followed the Lord. And, and now, after many, many years of not following the guidance of that conscience, he is now guilty of, of uh, bilking older folks of millions of dollars and now will spend many years in jail. How does a Christian get to that? I think we all know. I think we've all had that experience. 
We say something, we do something, and bam, that referee blows the whistle, foul, foul ball, and we say, ah, it's not that bad. Yeah, just one more time, and then I'll quit. Just one more drink, just one more of something else. And we deny it, and we deny it, and we deny it. We don't allow the, wor- the Lord to work in us. And we find ourselves shipwrecked, alone, on a deserted island, no help, seemingly. Well, there is help. God will be there. Cry out to God. Call on Him. Listen to your conscience. Listen to what God is saying. I believe there's folks here that needed this message today. And needed to hear that, to, to take that step, to make that decision and say, no more. I'm not going to live like that. That's misery. I've got to get out of this. Talk to someone. Get some help. Follow the Lord's leadership in regards to your conscience. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of opening your word. I just ask for each and every one here that would be sensitive to the great gift of the conscience that you've put in our hearts. Father, I pray mostly for that one that has denied that conscience, has become hardened, hard of hearing, hard of listening to your word and to your spirit and to the conscience in their soul and feels like there's no turning around. God, I know there's hope. I know there's renewal in the Holy Spirit and in the blood of Christ. Please help them this morning to cry out. Cry out and receive that change and that blessing and that joy that comes from being right with you. I ask it in Jesus' name.